ladies and gentlemen, tonight, the reigning, defending, 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 undisputed, universal, heavyweight champion, Wildcat Radio 2.0, bear down, you beautiful people. What's up, Wildcats? It's Wildcat Radio 2.0, live from the Vivid Seat Studio. I'm Adam Green, joined again for a third show by Mr. Brett Barry. And Brett, since the last time we did this, it's really been a slow news time in Tucson. Not much has happened since our last show. I don't know if we even need to do this one. Yeah, pretty much nothing that I want to discuss, at least in football. Yeah, no, I mean, no, there's no big news that came out of Tucson. Only, what, Dave Heakey contract extension, um... Hey, Arizona women's basketball is ranked. That's awesome, by the way. It They're really crushing is. it. Um, let's see. Football, another coach was fired. Not the head coach, but another defensive coach was fired. Which and one? Which one? Which coach is going to be the last one on the island by the time the season ends? <laughs> Who does Dave Heakey give a rose to? Maybe you can do it the other way, too. Like, you stay. Um, I saw a funny thing on Twitter where somebody said uh, um, that they can't, Dave Heakey can't fire Kevin Sumlin because they're running out of football analysts to come in and act as a coach. <laughs> and I thought that was damn funny. That's funny and also kind of laughing at you while laughing with you type of thing. But the other bit of news, and we can lead there, is Devonair Dutrieve no longer with the Arizona Wildcats. And he was suspended to start the season, came back for a couple of games, and we were thinking, okay, that helps their depth. That wasn't. Before he even came back, we had talked about how it's like you didn't really miss him being out there because his team has so much depth, but that he would just add to it. And he's a talented player. And then to see he was kicked off the team for a violation of team rules, we're left to guess what it was. But whatever the reason, he is no longer with the team. Arizona is now another man down, and yet they played a game without him, and it seemed like it was no problem. Well, that's where the depth we've been talking about all season comes into play, and by the way, the guys that are most likely to take his minutes looked fantastic in the last week in Hazard yeah. and Baker. Baker was has just really come along strong the last couple of weeks, and I think he's actually maybe the low-key best on-ball defender, at least of the guards. Which is excellent to have. Oh, absolutely. So I think with them kind of stepping into that role, it's going to certainly soften the blow of Dutri being kicked off the team. You know, you hate to see him go. If we all had high hopes for him. Well, we thought he was leaving in the offseason. Then he decided to come back, and now he's been asked to leave. So what a yo-yo he had his career at Arizona. Yeah, I, I believe I texted you after he got kicked off that we'll always have the tip in. <laughs> and then yes. followed up with, that sounded weird. <laughs> yes, yes, and all, all that's true. I can confirm that exchange. But And that's the thing with Dutrieve. I remember he was the first one to commit to Arizona following just the disaster that was the lost recruiting cycle. Mm-hmm. He was the guy you made to say, okay, it might be okay to go to Arizona. So it's always that appreciation. And then last season, you could see the potential he had. Got a good friend, good athlete, great offensive rebounder for his size, had that big play against Oregon State. And when he came back, this is like, okay, this is good because we were hearing about how great he was in practices and he was excellent in the red-blue game and then he was suspended to start. They're like, okay, he's a kid. They, you know, Kids make mistakes. It's fine. He comes back and then now he's just gone. So whatever it was, like you hope that he gets things sorted out because he's a talented player. But on the basketball court, yeah, Arizona went out and beat Long Beach State in a game that was you know, sloppy in the first half a little bit again, but the final fighting, score. The fighting beaches? I think that's what they are now. <laughs> 104-67 was the final of that game because South Dakota State was before that 71-64, a little bit of a struggle game, yet one where you thought there was no way Arizona was going to lose. You just wish they would have won by more. But maybe that game, it was the perfect Sean Miller game, but everyone would say, oh, that's what you want from your team because it's like, oh, now he's a coaching moment because they've been beating everyone by 30. Now here, there's a close game. You dealt with some adversity against a lower-tier opponent. Yeah, then they came out, beat the beaches, Pretty badly, especially in the second half. Just the offense was clicking. And yeah, to your point, the news of Dutrieve was shocking. It was sudden, and yet, at least for one game, Arizona didn't miss him in the least. Well, it helped them a lot when they realized they should give uh, Zeke Naji the ball and not have him go two halves without 
taking a shot like they did against New Mexico State, and then it's a South bold Dakota strategy, State. but one that is known to work. But uh, no, the front. The, you're you're right. Like I mean, the the depth shows that. Yeah, Dutri was like a nice to have, but you don't have to have player for this year's on team. this team. Yeah. Um, and the one thing that was concerning against South Dakota State, you know, they're they're a pretty well coached team tactically defending us, and we looked a little sloppy and. You know, that game should have probably not been as close as it ended up being. And then, honestly, Long Beach State, that first half, we looked pretty, you know, hit or miss in our effort and lackadaisical turning the ball over, still getting a lot of deflections and steals, which I don't know if if I can ever recall them having so many steals, the Wildcats having so many steals in a game, uh, which was kind of fascinating to watch. Sometimes it was just like the guys literally were pulling it out of their her hands mid dribble like cool old, like old school NBA jam like you reach in and the ball just comes out and you drive down and dunk it it was quite fun but I mean that first half even they were struggling against there but then everything started clicking and they kind of pulled away from it Max Hazard started hitting shots and that's one of the guys who's getting those minutes too and I know Sean Miller talks about him as being one of the best shooters if not the best shooter on the team and it feels like you could say that about a lot of guys and that again we I keep harping on it anyways that this team has so many options where in a game like this, like you don't score 104 points with just a couple of guys having good nights. That's true. But this team, at least from the outside, and I know Sean Miller in his post-game press conference is like t- telling his team, like you got to get the ball to Zeke Naji because they're going to double him, kick it out, wide open three-pointers. And unlike teams of past, Arizona teams in recent years, you get the feeling that this one has enough three-point shooters, enough guys who, you know what, if you're going to double Zeke Naji. Max Hazard's going to hit a three, or Baker's going to hit a three, or Mannion can hit a three. Even Josh Green, his shot hasn't been there, but we know he can shoot that. And then at the same time, if Nico Mannion's driving to the bucket, or Baker's driving to the hole, or just whoever, if you get the ball to the basket, you can have that inside-out game, and this team has the talent, has the shooting to take advantage of that and beat you that way too. Yeah, totally. I mean, gosh, I'm just looking at the uh, the quick box score. We scored 66 points in the second half. Not That's bad. In a 20-minute half, 66 <laughs> points. That is... Three points a minute. <laughs> I mean, that's insane. That's math. <laughs> I mean, slightly more than. I was rounding down. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. Well, the funny thing is Max Hazard wasn't even shooting very well all season, even though they would say that he was one of the best shooters in practice. But then he started, you know, the, started seeing the ball go through the hoop a time or two, and then he started jacking up a lot of shots and starts feeling a little bit. So you don't need uh, Josh Green, who was shooting pretty well to start the season. Now he's kind of cooled off a little bit. You know, you have enough guys that have the skill, and you have enough uh, ball movement in the offense and a point guard facilitator that allows you to take good shots. And I don't, I don't even think we've peaked offensively, to be honest. That's the scary thing. <laughs> After our scoring 104 points, well, Matt Wayne, he could score a little bit more than he did. So that's that's one way, that, too. Hey, that shot looked great. That's awesome. I love how the team was excited for him, too. You wonder if Miller's like, hey, man, we're trying to – the game's over. Just hold on to the ball. And he's just like, I don't get to do this very often. I'm going to shoot. Like if you're going to shoot, you have to make it. I think it's how that works. Oh man, but you, he he had a nice a nice stroke and like stepped up calmly. Nice release. But in that oh. situation, like Miller played like okay, you made it. You deserve your moment because you work hard in practice. But if you miss that shot, it's like what are you doing? Hold on to the ball. So clutch shot in that regard. <laughs> but, but one thing we did see and started, he almost lost his non scholarship. Yeah, right. <laughs> Against South Dakota State, the double team of Zeke Naji, and that's someone's like well. Why wouldn't you do that? And that's the beauty of having a strong inside game or at least one really good low post guy is that if he doesn't get double teamed, it's easy bucket after easy buckets. You're going to double him, and he has to learn how to get out of the double teams and pass on. He's a smart enough player. He's a hard worker. You can tell that he's going to get that. But this team, maybe unlike the DeAndre Ayton year, where it's like teams had to double him, that team didn't have shooting outside right. of them. So that's where it's like Najee's going to have – he was frustrated to start the Long Beach State game. He just wasn't shooting the ball well, but he kind of settled in and got back into his rhythm, and he's good. And I don't know if we had to say who the team's best player has been. Up to this point. Now, they're, they're still ranked 14th in the nation right now, so they didn't go up. But who their best player is, or even we know their most important player is, that's Nico Mannion. For without him, it's hard to imagine them going far. But at the same time, if they don't have Zeke Naji, that inside game isn't going to be nearly as dangerous, although Chase Jeter, he's still rebounding okay, and he played a little bit better over the last couple of games. So it's just, it's a fun team to see because, like you said, Brett, you don't think this team has peaked offensively. It's like, what, how how much better can they be? And 
you wonder, and they still get better rebounding, and defensively they can be more consistent. But offensively, we haven't seen a team in Tucson that won with offense since the Lute Olsen years. And maybe, I don't know if you could argue, like a Russ Pennell team was more offensive than defensive. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what their strength was. They just got hot that one at you know the end of the season. But they're going to have to get better on defense. They're going to have to get better at rebounding. But there's no reason to think they won't. They have the athleticism to do it, and they seem to have the intensity to do it. It's whether they have the focus and the communication on defense, in my mind. Uh, and that's kind of shows up in a lot of the deflections, the steals they were getting. Like, you know, last time we were talking, we were talking about how they were getting beat off the dribble, but they were catching up and blocking the shots. I still think they can do that for at least another couple of games because they're just better athletes. You know, the question is, can they get a little bit more focused and locked down, stop those the penetrations from the wing that's really going to come back to haunt them if they're taking that to Baylor or they're playing Gonzaga and allowing that. Uh, but all signs point to the potential being there. It's And I I just can't imagine a scenario in which a Sean Miller team with this much depth and his ability to bench guys if they're not trying hard on defense. Or kick them off the team. That's one way to free up minutes, <laughs> to, to ease the log jam. Are you, are you, are you saying Debrunier Dutrieved was kicked off for a lack of D? <laughs> <laughs> But no, but like I just I can't imagine there's a scenario where in a couple of weeks from now the defense isn't going to be tightened up strategically, focus, effort wise, better team communication, knowing where they're going to be, and if you can do that and kind of help on some of those things on the, the wing drives is what kills me. I feel like our like Naji do it hedging on ball screens up at the top. He does it like a monster, almost does it too far, <laughs> to where again if you have a better athlete maybe they can take advantage of it. But I think there's enough time to still have enough tune-up games to get that kind of tightened up before you go to Baylor, before you play Gonzaga. Um, and if you can do that and still have room to grow on an already potent offense, man, it's going to be a fun season. <laughs> it, it sure <laughs> seems that way. And, of course, it's Arizona basketball, so we have to – if Dutrieve getting kicked off the team is the worst thing that happens to them, that'll be fortunate because this is Arizona basketball, and generally speaking – the Wildcats lately can't have nice things. To be fair, you did not curse them with six torn ACLs last week. No, but Najee did miss some shots. That, that's, I mean, I, I'll take that one of the curses. Partially to, responsible for that, I feel like I had partial, to do Partial that. credit. Yeah. But <laughs> Arizona, now they're leaving McHale Center for the first time this season, heading to the, the Wooden Legacy Tournament, facing Pepperdine to start. And as far as tournaments go, like, Arizona's been in some with stronger-looking fields, like... Even now, we're looking at this and saying, like, they should win this tournament. They're the best team in the tournament. So any any loss at this point over the next few games would be disappointing because they are the best team in the field. And we're still saying, okay, Baylor's the big game. Gonzaga's the big game. But winning tournaments is nice. And Arizona hasn't won a trophy in anything in a couple of years, I guess, since the Pac-12 tournament. <laughs> so two years. They've taken a season off from winning. But you know what I'm saying. It's like this team, some of that validation where they're they're still ranked number 14. They're 6-0. They don't have that signature win. They haven't had a chance to have the signature win. All they've done is beat teams the way a good team should beat them, South Dakota State not included. So it's kind of one of those turns where, okay, see you away from a Kale Center, how these freshmen fare. And there's probably going to be a lot of fans, Arizona fans there. So that's not going to be like road games. But it's going to be a different environment, and I'm really interested to see how they play in it. Well, the one thing that's fascinating about a tournament like this, too, is it's what three games in four days. Yeah. It's a chance to... Your depth whether, could matter. Whether or not it's going to matter, you're going to be able to lean on your depth more and make sure everybody's getting minutes. And you can kind of tr- maybe try some different lineup combinations. You know, it's not a big challenge right now. Coloco got into the game for a little while and looked decent, other than the fact that he went to block their uh, the Long Beach State guy's right hand when he's left-handed and dunking with it and looked a little embarrassing on that poster. But how many people are buying a Long Beach State dunk poster? I can think of one guy right now who will buy that poster. <laughs> <laughs> That's, two, his 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 dad too. Yeah. Um, buy but, all of them and send them to all the family. Yeah, but you know the the Clovis a freshman hasn't played a ton in scouting yeah. reports and such. Like, well, I mean, there's there's a there's an outside chance that he gets to uh, play Long Beach State again because they are in the same tournament, I believe. Though they're a long shot to hopefully meet us in the title game. I would think so. But uh, that no, would be brutal if they end up. I mean, not just. For them, but like for Arizona to play them again. Like there's some days you play twice. You're no. called conference opponents, or occasionally if you get them in the tournament. But 
Not not one of these. That shouldn't happen. Yeah. And they're probably not going to beat Providence. Not that Providence is some powerhouse. Does it disappoint year. you that they haven't had a tougher schedule? I know there's a lot of people. Back in the day, Arizona, they'd play Michigan State in a tournament. There was the Madison Square Garden where they played Duke. They played Michigan. They had a home and home with them. And I guess Baylor's a good non-house. Baylor was in Tucson last year. Gonzaga's one where they play them pretty consistently. But I mean, Baylor just beat Nova. Yeah. So no, I mean, they're, our they're RPI is going to go up, win or lose in that game. <laughs> but so, but that, but that's the trick. Like a lot of people say for basketball, and I, I could go either way with this. If you're good, you're good. The beauty of basketball is you'll make the tournament. You know, if you're a good team, you'll have a chance to make a run and win. All no matter what your non-conference schedule was, and Arizona's not going to need their non-conference schedule to buttress them to get them into the tournament. They're going to win enough games to get in on their mm-hmm. own. But from a fan's perspective, even just from a, I know Seth Davis, he was getting all over U of A again for ranking them, I think, like 20-something in his range. He's like, well, they haven't even loved McHale or played anyone good. It's like, well, look at your top couple teams. They haven't beaten anyone good either. Right. But that perception, and maybe this comes from Arizona not being a good team last season. So it's like, okay, you still have to prove it. And the only way to do that is to play good games. And the only way to good game, play good games at this point in the season is to schedule better non-conference. I mean, to be criticizing their schedule right now is a little, it's a little early in the season considering you got Baylor coming up and Gonzaga. And I would still say, I think people are quick to dismiss Illinois. I mean, they played... Arizona was. I mean, they played at GCU and beat GCU, the second best basketball program in the state of Arizona. (laughs) Sure. Uh, I mean, but like, no, jokes aside... That's, like they are. That's a quality. No. That's a quality win to go into that hard. It's venue a tough environment on yeah. the road and early in the season to do that with a young team like Illinois has, and I, I still think they have a pretty good amount of talent. Um, you know, late in the season, I, I would be a little nervous about if I was playing Illinois out there with some of their young talent. And sure, and as a fan, you want to have the big matchups, but also it's it's a little bit. You have to have those one the the home and homes. Otherwise, mm-hmm. there's no benefit, or people need to load up in these tournaments where it's neutral site because you used air quotes there just so people know neutral site was an well. Air not everybody travels as well as Arizona. Sure, uh, especially if it's somewhere. Well, where, where is Wooden? It's in New York. Wooden's in Anaheim. It's in L.A. Oh, it's, it's L.A. Or L.A. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, that's going to be. And it's not an elite eight game, so it's fine. I mean, to be fair. Pepperdine is just up the road in a gorgeous campus. <laughs> if you've never driven by it, I I, uh, I think I have. I don't really recall. Yeah, I've driven by that one in UCSB and been like, that's the one time I've ever doubted my decision to attend the University of Arizona, just because the beach is right there. It's a long beach out there, too, I think, uh, at some point. Boo. But I, I, <laughs> I'm of the mindset where like, I'd rather I'd rather win no matter what. It's like... Your RPI can get boosted with close loss or losses against good teams, which is weird. And especially early on, you don't know who's going to be really good later down the season. You have an idea. Totally. But Arizona, because I mean, I guess ASU made the tournament the last couple of years, their playing game by beating Kansas a couple of times. That was their signature win each season. So for certain teams, you need those games because if you're a bubble team, that big win could be a difference maker. And who knows? I guess Arizona could struggle more than we think. Something could happen. And then you'll look back and say, I wish they had a chance for those big non-conference wins. The problem is if you lose that game, it's still a loss. And not that when Arizona's good, like they were the two McConnell years when they played Duke, when they played Michigan, that was fun because these were top teams. You knew it. Well, not second year, Michigan wasn't that good when they made the trip to McHale Center. But those were fun games because you knew like, okay, these are two of the best teams in the country. It's a non-conference early season game. It's really not going to hurt either one of them to lose this game but it's going to be really nice to win it. Like it's a big win and it's going to be a big season for you. So they're, they're fun. And like this team right now, by the time they get to Baylor, if they're still undefeated, then that'll be like one of those games. It'll be like, okay, you're playing a top 25 team. You're both legit. Let's see who comes out on top. If they win that game, even if they lose that game as competitive, when they play Gonzaga, same type of situation. So they'll have that chance for those fun games to watch, but they're really only a lot of fun if you win. Yeah, I mean, college basketball is not quite college football where you're very disincentivized to actually schedule challenging games, especially, you know, if you're if you're a powerhouse team, nobody wants to come to McHale Center. That's why it has to be a home and home or at a neutral site because yeah. there's there's nothing to, and, and even the team the the home team in that case 
what is there to gain and there's everything to lose if you lose to a mediocre team unless it's like a true powerhouse team mm-hmm. right so it's there's a delicate balance in scheduling and it takes two to tango so you can't just force uh, a great schedule but you know i don't think uh, we're at risk of being a bubble team based on the talent level this year so i'm not too concerned about it i think it's been a reasonable kind of gradation of challenges and you know assuming we're 9 you know at the end of the the wooden classic you got to think we'll be pushing top 10. Who else is in the field for the Wooden Classic? Who are we looking at? Oh, I just had it up. It was Pepperdine, Providence, the fighting beaches of Long Beach State, of course, as I just mentioned. I lost my bracket. Oh, College <laughs> of Charleston, Penn, UCF, Wake Forest were the other ones. And then. Okay. Uh, like this one, likely Arizona's the main team. There's decent programs in there. But this is one where we had like Michigan State and the one Hawaii. A couple of years, or they think just opened the season against or against Michigan State in Hawaii. It wasn't a tournament. Yeah. Oh no, that was a tournament. No, that was not because they got a trophy when Kadeem Allen had that lay-in at the end of the game. Man, I don't remember. But so it's it's nice to get those, and you know if you can be in these top like ASU's in their tournament, they're what at Madison Square Garden, and they played Virginia, lost a close one to them, an ugly, ugly game. But Virginia can do that. What was that forty-five, forty-one, or something stupid? Yeah, that was an Arizona half. Offensively, anyway. <laughs> so it's like you you can't necessarily help. The, you, you join the tournament that you're in. You agree to be in it. But you can't necessarily help who else is going to be there. And some of these teams in this one may end up being, being better than we think by the end of the season. We don't know that. But for Arizona, if the signature wins are going to happen, it's going to be Baylor. It's going to be Gonzaga. And to your point, if they're 9-0 after this tournament, still Arizona... I guess it'd be easy to dismiss them still because it's like, oh, they don't really travel that far. They have probably good crowds and they still haven't beaten anyone really good. But maybe that's a nice thing for this team because they came in probably with high expectations of their own because it's like they knew their recruiting class. They knew what they had. But nationally, it was kind of a wait and see approach for them. And even still, they're ranked 14th. They're 6-0. and And I think 14th is fine. I'm not offended by that. But... It's kind of like if they can fly under the radar somewhat, and the good Arizona teams usually don't fly under the radar, but if they can and keep a little bit of a chip on their shoulder as a team, not just maybe a player's like, oh, I need to prove I can go to the NBA or whatever, just as a team, it's hard to imagine that being a bad thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've both been Arizona Wildcat fans long enough that we know that we don't handle hype or expectations well. Fans or the players? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would, I would. It's not March yet. I'm stress free. I mean, I would. Yeah. I mean, if, even if they lose a couple games here or there, it's not, it's not going to kill them right now. In fact, there's something to be said for a reality check loss, uh, or even like I prefer little, the reality check wins. What? Which is you mean South Dakota State? Yeah. yeah. I don't think you have to lose to learn a lesson. True. You're not well. We, so you're saying like Lipscomb from a few years ago, where there was the questionable buzzer beater was the was the appropriate <laughs> challenge. <laughs> oh, and uh, well, who was the other one? Was the Colorado was a challenge, the Sabatino-Chen game where... Yeah. My favorite thing is how Colorado <sighs> fans, like, how many years ago was that? And they still bring it up anytime we play them. Colorado hates... Like, I think both Colorado and Utah, they joined the conference desperately seeking a rivalry. So they just picked the state of Arizona. Because Utah fans hate Arizona too, especially basketball. Colorado, I think, hates basketball football i don't think anyone really cares about arizona we'll get to arizona football by the way Do we in have a little to? bit yeah, it's, a, it's the last game of the year we have to talk about it but yeah i think they just came in looking for rivalries and they're like they're not rivals with each other like so yeah. they just pick arizona teams utah fans just like the guy that walks into a bar and tries to find somebody to pick a fight with it looks about his size <laughs> <laughs> like that's what they do on twitter and they just i, I don't understand it <laughs> I don't. I also just don't understand the concept of trying to actively find people to like hate on. What's the concept of someone from Utah walking into a bar? I've been to Utah. It's not exactly a place where they go to do that often. I don't. Thus think. explains at least for a- BYU fans. This is this is Utah. No wonder they're about. so angry. Maybe they would. <laughs> maybe if they had a nice IPA, they would be a little calmer. <laughs> Perhaps a nice four point two percent IPA that you get <laughs> in the state of Utah. But no, that didn't bother me at all when I was in Salt Lake. <laughs> So that's our other basketball team. They're 6-0. and They got the Wooden Legacy Tournament coming up. And it's, I guess, in a way, and this is what happens when you're not playing those big games, kind of when you were saying, what's the incentive for the good team to play these games? Only bad things could happen because you're not going to 
you're not going to move the meter, move the needle too much by winning this tournament. But for this team to experience winning, and then one thing that Sean Miller always talked about with these guys, the recruits especially, is they all came from winning programs. They're used to winning. Mm-hmm. So to see them go out there and just play well, and especially with back-to-back games for one, and then you get to the championship game, like that would be nice to see because it's just another step in this team's growth and their evolution because we thought we knew what they were when the season started. Now we're six games in. It's like, okay. They're probably better in some ways than we thought, maybe not as good in other ways, but we're starting to see the depth assert itself. Now let's see what else they can do. Because the good Arizona teams, they won these tournaments, some usually with better opponents, but they were good early in the season. And this wouldn't cement them being good early in the season, but it'd be another sign that, okay, any hesitation we may have had going into this season, about okay, well, how good will this team be? Just the more they can prove, like with every win, the more you start to think, okay, they're legit. Yeah, I mean, I ended the season cautiously more optimistic than most. And it's getting really hard to maintain a level of caution with my optimism as I've watched more games because they've just looked really good while doing it. Uh, You know, I think for me, the thing I want to see is I want to see the depth play out. I still want to see the defense improve, uh, even if it's just basic fundamental on-ball defense, uh, stopping penetration, etc., and I'd rather they lost a game and got a lesson and came out of the tournament healthy than won the thing and had some guy like pull a hamstring and be iffy the rest of the season. Right, right. No, that's feel like only bad things can happen right now in a tournament like this. Well, when you're when when you're undefeated, your your winning <laughs> percentage doesn't go up. Yeah, there's nowhere to go but down. But that, but that's the thing with this team. And for me, going to this tournament, I want to see. The things that will make them great, like the three-point shooting that they haven't had, if that continues, if guys like Hazard and Baker continue to shoot the ball well, if Dylan Smith can have one of a Dylan Smith game where he actually where he's good, like that would be important to me because we know Zignaggi what he can do. Nico Mannion, I think, has already proven himself. He's an elite point guard. Josh Green's a good defender. He's going to make some plays. He's a kind of glue guy out there. He can do a little bit of everything. But what will make this team really good is the ability to consistently knock down three-point shots. Because they're going to be open, you have to make them. How many times have we watched a game in the last few years? It's like, well, they're taking good threes. They're just missing them. Like, it's wide open. You're just missing them. To this be, team has shooters. To be fair, there was a few year, few teams that had a lot of shots being taken that were not good shots. But a lot of times they were, they were missing the open ones, too, the good yeah. looks. Where it's like you dumped it down low. You kicked it out like you're supposed to. It's sure. a wide open three from one of your, I'm going to use air quotes, shooters. And they'd miss. With this team, if Baker can consistently hit, if Hazard can consistently hit, we know Mannion can do it too. Smith is capable. They have enough shooters where it's like someone's going to be open, and that person might hit a three-pointer at a 38 40% clip. That'll change. I mean, you can't stop that at that point. Yeah, I mean, I in the last game, I actually saw there was one play where Mannion took a what I consider a bad shot. I mean, it's one where he's, yes, he was open. He just dribbled up the court and shot it from 23 feet because the guy wasn't guarding him. You know, no passes. As one does. Well, yeah, but that's not the best. That's not the best shot. That's not the best use of the talent around you. You can get that shot if you're Nico Mannion any time. We're trying to get a higher percentage one. Um, so there's still there's like I said, there's still room to grow. Um, honestly, you, you, you're saying that you think the key is to show that three point shooting. I still come back to I want to see better improvement on the defensive end. Oh, I'm not saying I only want to see shooting, but that's the type of thing. Like defense will always travel, and if they can play defense. That's fine. Like they'll be really, really good. But I want to see the shooting travel away from Mikhail Singer. We've seen that sure. at times where guys they can make shots at home. They can make shots when the game's a blowout. Can they make those shots in a game on the road, or at least not in Mikhail Center? And can they do it consistently? Because when a guy like I don't know, when Dusan Ristich a couple years ago was making threes, I'm like, that's not sustainable. Dusan make basket? Dusan make threes. <laughs> and they were awesome. But like you look and say, that's not your offense, right? Like that's that's a fun thing. It's not the way you're going to win most of your games. But if Max Hazard is hitting threes and Baker, and then it's these guys that we keep talking about, if they continue to do that over and over. And we saw like last year, Brandon Randolph, he was good in non-conference and then fell apart in pack 12 plays. So I just want to say that consistency because if these guys who came in build as shooters shoot the ball well, it's like, all right, that's legit because they're supposed to be good. They are good. Done and done. And that makes this team's ceiling go that much higher up because it's just an element that they haven't really had consistently, and it's an element that's cost them by not having in the past. Yeah, where would you in the last two teams ranked Dylan Smith as on uh, on the team in terms of best three point shooter? 
he had to be in like the top two or three. And where is he on this year's team? Five, six. <laughs> exactly. And, but that, that's good. That's a good thing. Not to say that he won't have a presence in this season or have a play a factor because I think he will. He'll have a role. Yeah. He's going to have a game where he makes two or three threes. He's, he does that. Are they going to keep starting him? If it ain't broke. I mean, I, the, one of he's the com- playing deep, I like Baker off the bench right now. Yeah. I think that and Hazard's good off the bench. One of the commentators was talking about maybe you bring Baker off the bench because he can come in and be offense. And every time I see uh, Max Hazard come off the bench, especially the last game, he reminded me of Eddie House in the NBA where he'd just be the guy off the bench that just comes in and come be like... Jack up threes. Come score, man. Yeah. And he can play that role really effectively. But I, I wouldn't mess with the starting lineup, not yet, because Smith does play defense and he doesn't... He's not... He's not being a chucker. He seems to be kind of fitting into his role. I mean, okay, if he's totally. open, he'll take a shot. He has the occasional silly turnover, which Dylan Smith does. But he's accepted his role. And when you have Nico Mann, he's your point guard and really the only true point guard on the roster. Either Baker or Hazard are kind of like your de facto backup. So I think they can each kind of handle the ball a little bit. Where it's good to bring one of them off the bench early with Mannion, let him play with him, and then Mannion can take three, four-minute break while they're running the offense. Like I think you can stagger it that way. But... Sure, there'll be times where the lineup changes due to injury and whatnot, but no, I don't see any reason to mess with that right now. Yeah. By the by, the way, you made me think of uh, our colleague Saul Bookman's podcast when he brought up a stat I was listening to last week when he said, uh, I, f- I forget what the numbers were, the assist-to-turnover ratio, which is a fantastic measure for guys playing point guard for both Hazard and Baker. They were like the two highest in the country through you know, four, four or five games or yeah, whatever. And they're not the main point guards, but they take care of the basketball. And if you're not turning it over, it means exactly. you're getting a shot, and this team's probably going to get a pretty good shot. If they are good game managers that don't turn the ball over and can effectively deliver reasonable passes and hit open threes and play good defense, that's but all you need. I think Miller joked about that with Baker, who had a turnover in the last game. He's like, I looked up, and I'm like, you had a, like that's his first turnover in how many games? And But that that's... Everything this team is doing except for playing, I guess, lockdown defense and rebounding like crazy has those hallmarks of the good Sean Miller teams. Like, they have good point guard play, which they really haven't had. Well, maybe they've had good. They haven't had great point guard play really since McConnell. And we can kind of see, we, we kind of, we definitely see what kind of a difference that makes because offensively they get better shots. And no, I mean, that, that's it. They get better shots. They don't turn the ball over. They have good offense because, in large part, to their point guards, it starts with Nico Mannion, but, yes, Baker and Hazard, who can play that role, they're doing a good job, or they've done a good job up to this point. And I think I think Miller trusts all three of those guys in terms of filling that role. I mean, he has a long leash on Nico, which, rightfully so, great, yes. great coaching. Take one of the best point guards I'd in the country. I'd take him off leash and just let him go. I mean, it's... Let him go play. Seems basically like... More so than I feel like we've seen from any Miller team at Arizona. He's, you know, let the kids go out there and rolls the ball out there and says, go have fun. Make sure you play some defense. <laughs> be, now be careful, guys. Make sure you play some defense, but go have some fun. Which, you know, I think as, as, a, for, as a former point guard, he, Sean Miller just must love that and must have been getting driven <laughs> crazy the last couple of years. But, you know, I think there's still that room for growth on defense. And it's funny because I keep harping on defense. I'm sure Sean Miller is saying the same thing because it's Sean Miller and he's never satisfied with good enough defense. But they had, what, 14 steals and we're we're still commenting that there's ample room for growth. Well, we know defense isn't all about steals. It's forcing tough shots. It's rebounding. But that's where the athleticism of this team comes in, the athleticism and the length and the intelligence. This is a pretty – seems like we've seen some – Less than stellar basketball IQ teams in recent memory, in recent years. This team seems to, and maybe it's because it starts at the point guards. The guy, the people who are leading the offense on the floor are smart basketball players. But it, you get this sense watching that they know what they're doing. That very rarely do these something that's really just like, what? What was that? Or they get into a possession. It's like, yep, you did nothing there. Where it's just like, oh, you have the entire shot clock, you dribbled around, you passed it around. It's like, oh, no shotgun. I'm like, this team seems like it knows what it's doing. Well, how much of a difference do you think it makes that Nico Mannion and Josh Green played on the same AAU team for like three years? Probably a great difference, like a huge difference. Like those those guys know where they're going. They know each other's games. You know, Nico trusts him to run the lanes on the fast break. I think it goes a long way. So we'll we'll see how it, we'll see how it goes. I think. We have like the three games in four days, and then I think we have you know a, almost a, a week, week off, off before Baylor. Yeah, 
So there'll be plenty of time to prepare. Uh, guys can focus on their their uh, finishing their semesters off, which I'm sure is their top focus for the next. Oh, they're weeks. student athletes. Student first. Okay, Dave Peaky. <laughs> <laughs> no, then they'll, they'll have plenty of time to rest up for Baylor. Hopefully, it's after three wins. But also, the time they have to rest up for Baylor, you have time to get tickets. If you want to go see them at Baylor, if you want to see them play Nebraska Omaha at the McHale Center, you can. Just make sure you get your tickets from Vivid Seats because that is your top source for tickets for really any event you want to go to. But we're going to say Arizona basketball because Arizona basketball is fun this season. Um, Vivid Seats has a loyalty program that will allow you to get credit back when on your purchases. Um, it's called Vivid Seats Rewards. So to take advantage of all that good stuff from Vivid Seats, go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Once you do, you'll be automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program. Just so you know, Brett, when you do buy your tickets, every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. Concerts, games, plays, whatever it is, your tickets will be there, and you'll be guaranteed to get them 100%. That's pretty good. That's all the percents you can have. People will say 110%, not possible. Math again. Math again. So make sure you do that. Um, and when you do sign up for Vivid Seats and get your tickets, make sure you enter promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. So Vivid Seats, that's the way to go for tickets. All right, Brett, we talked about the fun stuff. So are we going to talk about how we're going to use Vivid Seats to buy tickets to this uh, football game that's hypothetically happening Saturday? <laughs> oh, I think it's going to have to be cold out there, too. Like one of the coldest <laughs> games in like 20 years of this rivalry or something like that. It's going to be yeah, I freezing. Think the, I think the high that morning is 37 degrees. It's going to be a little chilly. Just just a smidge. None of us expected Arizona to beat Utah. Like that's when I watched that game and watched that game, it's like it wasn't one it wasn't frustrating. It was more just like, yeah, okay. The defense played hard in the first half. They played pretty well, held them to fourteen points, had a couple of fourth down stops, including one at the goal line to end the first half. The offense couldn't do anything, which not surprising, one, because of Utah's defense. They're great. And two, Arizona's offensive line was so beleaguered where it's like of any team you're going to face with that backup, that mash unit of awesome, an offensive line, Utah's not the ideal one. Yeah, it's funny. I felt like watching that game, I felt like it was a couple of other games this season where early on the defense was showing fight. For as, yeah. for as much as we crap on our defense, and rightfully so, statistically they're... They're really bad they're statistically. awful. But, you know, if you're getting fourth down stops against Utah, stuffing them on the goal line when they're trying to insult you and punch it in on fourth and goal. And they, they kept producing, but it was, I remember thinking watching that game, just like I have a couple of times during the season, you can't ask your defense to keep doing that and then go short drive and get them right back out on the field. They don't have the depth for that. And then unsurprisingly, Utah then just runs the ball down their throat as they wear down. And that lack of depth shows up and the offense the lack of O-line depth is it's just killing them right now, especially against what there's like seven future NFLers on that Utah <laughs> defense. I mean, we're just, we're not, that's, that's not a great matchup for us. I was hoping we would game plan a little better offensively to try to, to minimize the, what we're asking the O-line to do. And I wonder if you creative. can though, what, what can you do without a, a good offensive line? If you can't run the ball, you're I mean, in trouble. And then if you can't, I, it's a bad situation to be in. You need better depth. You need to be able to withstand these injuries. But when you have three-fifths of your line out and your backups are hurt too, like it puts you in a really bad spot offensively for what you can do. Yeah, I mean, I still, I think I said in the podcast last week, I would have liked to see more design runs for Tate where you can even use the running back as an extra blocker. Just ask the guys to hit the guy in front of you for a few seconds and hope that Tate breaks can the run through him. And um, he didn't start the game. That was surprising to me. It was surprising to me as well. Um, and then, do you have a problem with that? With them not starting it? I don't necessarily have a problem with it. I, I, I assumed that for seen the, his last home game, they were going to do the thing where they start him for the first three series or whatever, and then bring in Gunnell. Do what they had done before Gunnell started at Oregon. Yeah, that whole rotation. They seem to have been kind of doing that since they uh, went into uh, you know the dual quarterback situation. So I thought that was a perfect opportunity to, to kind of do that same thing, but have Tate start. Um, granted, we don't see what happens in practice, and I do. I think we talked about it last week. I think Tate is as much as I'm on Grant Gannell and play for the development of the team. 
you know, if you're trying to play to win that game, I think he's that best puncher's chance to win that game. Yeah. You know, I don't. Even, <laughs> the funny thing is, I don't know if that is the same approach I would take for the ASU game as to who I would want to have that puncher's chance because I almost think Gunnell in that hostile environment as a game manager that avoids turnovers. If is, they have an offensive line, Gunnell. Yeah, but even a, even against ASU's team in that rivalry game, I'm more concerned about the big turnovers letting the game get away from us than trying to break off a bunch of 70-yard Khalil Tate scrambles. Yeah. But we were kind of in a no-win situation. The best we were hoping for was to be competitive. And the off the defense tried for a while, but they just ran out of gas. Yeah, they gave him a touchdown to start the second half. And they're like, okay, this is going to be one of those games where Arizona stays in it for a while. And I guess when I look at this losing streak, that's now reached six games. And by the way, Arizona's officially eliminated from bowl contention with the um, Utah loss. Oh, so no. for anyone who was still holding out hope, it's not happening. But other than Oregon State and I would say Stanford during this losing streak... The defense has given them a chance through 30 minutes of football, you know, and, and it's it's the reason they've been losing these games. And you could argue against Stanford. The offense did fine. And it, the offense was pretty good against Stanford and the offense was pretty good against Oregon State. The defense didn't do their job in those games. But, you know, it was 14 nothing in this game. I forget what the score. The, I think Arizona was up at the half against Washington. It was a two score game. I'm pretty sure at USC, like somehow they've. Managed to like they're holding on for dear life, and sooner or later they end up having to let go. But if the offense could do its job and be competitive, you kind of they weren't going to beat Utah. But what does this game look like if it's fourteen to ten at halftime? If if Johnson doesn't drop that pass that uh, might have gone for a touchdown from Khalil Tate, Utah's still going to win the game. But just how different is does it go? And that's where this team, as bad as they've looked, <laughs> they they looked really bad over the last month and a half. I, I'm not quite ready to say that they're the absolute worst team I've ever seen. Like I know they're everybody picks them; they're at the worst in the Pac-12, and I you can't argue with that. But the difference between them being what they have been and being competitive and possibly even stealing a game against Stanford or stealing, you know, winning that game at home against Oregon State, it's not that huge. Yeah, I I think we were uh, talking about it the other day that Jalen Johnson dropped that hit him in. Both hands and it was a good chest. throw by Tate. Good read, good throw, and he should have caught it. I mean, and that's if you can keep your defense off the field just to give them a break for a little longer, go get some points on the board, get a little bit of momentum. You know, to your point, I don't think they necessarily come back and win the game, but I bet they're competitive far longer into the game than it ended up being. And for those defensive guys too, this is a team that's supposed to be able to score. And you go out there and you're giving it your all. And they're, they're trying. Like Tony Fields has been a monster. Still got a personal foul that hurt them. But him, Schooler, Lorenzo Burns got an interception. Like they're trying. But at some point, you're just like, they just wear on you. And you're out there for most of the game. And Zach Moss is just running right through you and around you and doing everything that he does because he's a really good running back. And Huntley's a tough quarterback to deal with. And at some point, you're just like, you're not necessarily intentionally not trying as hard. But subconsciously, you're just like, okay, you know, we're not winning this game, and maybe just something slips for you. And that's where the offense, not only giving them a break, but giving them some motivation to keep doing what they're doing, to say, hey, if we get another stop, we could tie this game up. And you know, the offense can do that. Like, let's get the ball back to our offense because the offense will do this. They just haven't had that really for the better part of the last month and a half for this losing streak. Well, and what's even more demoralizing, not only is the offense having short drives, but What's the average starting field position been? Not just because the offense not getting first downs, but our punting has been. It was competent uh, against Utah, actually. Well, <laughs> which isn't. Uh, I mean, let's comp- throw a parade. Yeah, competent-ish. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, compared to what we've seen from them the rest of the season. I mean, for a guy who we gave a fully guaranteed scholarship straight out of high school, which normally those kind of specialists get the preferred walk on and have to kind of earn it. You know, if you're going to give somebody a full four years. You kind of expect them to come in and be able to, to, to do the job. To do better. <laughs> you know, kicking it out of bounds at net 20 yards is, is not getting the job done. And you're just putting your defense with, you know, no rest. They're barely sitting on the bench for five seconds and getting a you know, quick drink of water. And they're having to run back out there. And, hey, the ball's uh, in worse position than they left it at. It's got to be demoralizing combined with, you know, all the turmoil on the sidelines and, and just in the in Tucson in general around the program, it's it's it, the season has certainly evaporated very quickly, 
and it's it's hard to blame some of the the kids on especially on defense when and even the offense when their O line has so many injuries at so many key positions. It's it's just hard to watch. Just kind of kind of running the clock out on the season at this point. Four and seven, one game left. We're going to talk about that game, but first let's take a quick break. All right, Brett. I'm not going to say a win over ASU would make this season a success because even beating ASU, getting the Territorial Cup back, they would be a five-win team. It'd be just, okay, you won five games, but hey, you got the Territorial Cup. It's still a disappointing year. They should have gone to a bowl game in year two of the Kevin Sumlin era. Arizona and I saw the line open at 12 and a half. I think it moved up to like 13. So the money's on ASU coming off a big home win against Oregon. For some reason, and maybe it's just the rivalry thing, or maybe it's because I just don't bind to ASU being a really particularly good... Like, they're not... They're fine. They're average. Mm-hmm. I think Arizona can be average. And if some of the offensive linemen come back, and someone hinted during his press conference on Monday that they might get some back, but maybe he's lying. But if they can get better offensive line play, then to me, this will be a game. I think that's a sucker's bet, that line, because you know this rivalry game. No matter how good or bad either team is, it's maybe a 60-40 proposition of who's winning. Right. Oh, the worst Arizona team in recent memory won in Tucson without throwing a pass in the second half. I, I seem to have recalled seeing that bandied about on Twitter for a little a little <laughs> while after that game. I believe we were at that game together. Yes, we were. That was a weird, weird, delightful time for Arizona fans. What a fun game! <laughs> but no, but I, the better team doesn't always win, and ASU, oh. by all appearances, is the better team. I just don't know how much better because Arizona at one point was four and one. They'd gone on the road and beaten Colorado, who beat ASU. And I would imagine ASU's better now. Jaden Daniels, who's a good quarterback, is better than he was in week four. Mm -hmm. But their defense isn't great. It's statistically fine. Their offense is statistically fine. There's nothing special about ASU other than the fact that there's nothing inherently terrible about them this season. Which means if Arizona plays a pretty good game, if Arizona has an offensive line that can open up holes in the running game, you can run on ASU. Mm -hmm. You can throw on ASU. And you can stop them because they're not a great offense. Now, Brandon Ayuk is a great receiver. He's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, Benjamin's a really good running back. So they have talent, but so does Arizona. J.J. Taylor's one of the best running backs in the conference. Just you can't see it because the offensive line's been bad. Tony Fields is a good linebacker. Collins Score is a good linebacker. Arizona's cornerbacks can make some plays. This isn't a talentless team, Arizona. They just haven't played well, and in large part because of the line. I'm going to say offense because defense has been, again, outside of maybe two games, respectable i think it's the offense that hasn't held up its end of the bargain so if they can go out there and score some points maybe get seven ten in the first quarter it'll be a game i mean you say it's the offense that hasn't held up its end of the bargain but i think statistically this is one of the worst defenses i know but but we've watched watched them like again if it was 14 to 10 at the half of the utah game what does that look like? If Arizona had scored some points against USC when I think it was like 17 nothing or 14 nothing at halftime, like, that's the thing. that We're not expecting this defense to hold teams to 20 points a game. But if they, again, if you would have told me, and I know Utah's a different animal because they're a great defense, but Arizona gave up 35 points. If you would have said they're going to lose, what do you think the score would have been? 35, 20 something. Right. They should be scoring more than seven, especially yeah. a garbage time seven on a Grant Canal. Really nifty run to, hey, no shutout. Yeah. But same thing, Oregon, 34 points. Mm-hmm. You would expect it to be 34-27 or something around 34-24, something like that. So when I say the offense isn't holding up its end of the bargain, I know the defense isn't good. They're not a good defense. But they've been good enough for a good offense to keep these as games and possibly steal one or two of them. I think the problem for the wildcats all season is they can never have both the offense and defense be competent in the same half for any game because <laughs> there's been how many games where in the first half the defense looked solid and the offense wasn't doing anything and then the defense looks terrible in the second half and the offense looks great no i don't even think of the offense looking great in the well, second half uh, of yeah. these games <laughs> but you understand and the, the yeah, thing is they haven't played a complete game really and, and colorado pe- was the closest they had and people underestimate the impact that a good offense can have on putting a defense in a good position to be successful and vice versa. It was the entire Rich Rod era. That defense was rarely good, but the year they won the Pac-12 South, they had a couple guys who made plays. Scooby Wright specifically, he was a playmaker. They got turnovers, but it wasn't a statistically great defense, but their offense was consistently good week in and week out, and they won a lot because of it. Yeah, if you can, even if you don't score on drives, if you're moving the ball, getting a couple first downs, playing the field position game, giving your defense some rest, it sets them up for better chances for success. Yeah, and we just 
have not been able to do that consistently this year. And then the bridge between that being the punting team has woefully unperformed overall, which just sets you back and puts your defense in a worse position. And then when you're playing from behind, suddenly your play calling has to change because you're having to try to score. Are you trying to force force the run once in a while on a, on a first down? And if you get two yards, then you're behind the sticks in terms of being behind schedule. And it just snowballed on it. And that's basically been the entire season, at least the last, what, six games. And definitely the last couple since the Oregon State game when they lost two offensive linemen on one play. We're going to give predictions on the ASU game in a second. But Kevin Sumlin, there's a lot of smoke regarding his future with the team, with the program, that this could be his last game. Should it be his last game? And I'm very much of a mindset that two years is not long enough to see if a coach can institute their system and really judge them. At the same time, there's been enough off the field stuff in terms of the fight on the sideline, firing three defensive coaches late in the season, where it's like, if this program is in turmoil, if it's not at rock bottom, if it's inching closer to it, there's never the wrong time to make the right move. I'm not saying I'd fire someone. No matter, no matter what happens in this game, I don't think it should have any bearing on his future with the program. If they win, doesn't mean you can't fire him. If they lose, doesn't mean you have to. As you see it right now, what are your what are your thoughts on someone? Because I'm, I guess I'm indifferent, but I guess I still lean towards give him another year. Yeah, I'm. I would say I generally fall into that bucket where if, if they pulled the trigger and fired him, I wouldn't be shocked or even like that upset. upset. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's. Of course, you're you're kind of arguing against uh, hypothetical because you don't know who the replacement would be. Um, what the staff would look like, how that's going to impact recruiting for how long, you know, the, the, the frightening thing to me more than even the, the, the record here in year two is that there seems to be this just evaporation of support and everybody's kind of freaking out a little bit. And it feels like a little bit more freak out than is probably warranted. Um, especially for a coach in year two, that being said, if you don't, you know, it's it's one of those things where that perception can become reality if mm-hmm. you don't have the support of the fans of the boosters and you know people don't have any faith in you it's going to be a self fulfilling prophecy. I, I know the problem for someone is like unlike we can, they're playing ASU so we can kind of compare him to Herm Edwards that Edwards came in and it was a laughing stock of a move. No one thought much of him as a coach like that's going to fail spectacularly. Low expectations. They've won they won seven games last year. They've now won six games this season. So. If the line is true and they beat Arizona, they'll win seven games this season. And people are like, Herm Edwards, yeah, throw a parade for him. Whereas someone came in with a team that had won seven games the previous season, had Khalil Tate, Heisman candidate, and that hasn't gone according to plan. So I think to the degree he's a victim of the expectations, at the same time, even somebody said after the game Saturday, and someone asked him, like, Would you, did you anticipate to come here in the first two seasons? You'd go up, you wouldn't make up boys. Like, no, not. Like he said, something no, he never expected that. And I would expect him to say, oh, yeah, I thought we'd be bad. But no one could have seen this coming. Even if you thought the talent wasn't that great when he took over, they were making bowls pretty much every year other than one under Rich Rod. And you figured, okay, they, someone's a good coach. He's won before. He wasn't really bad at A&M, just wasn't great in the SEC. They're not going to get worse, but we don't know if they're going to get better. And yet it definitely seems like they've gotten worse. And the program as a whole... It's not Machiavellian, but the perception is seems very similar that it's just a program that's off the rails and doesn't have a doesn't have a future, or at least a positive one. Yeah, I mean, I think it's still, I think that's more perception than reality at this point. I hope so. Though it's funny because I think back, I had a very good friend who, or have a very good friend who's a big, huge A and M fan, and he was, you know, talking smack when we hired Semlin. And I'm like, I hope you enjoy going eight and four every year because I'll never win more than that. I'm like, they'll build a damn statue of him. <laughs> I will take that in a heartbeat. Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> but it's like you said, it's been only two years, and I've liked a lot of the low key guys that they've gotten in the recruiting classes. Um, you know, we're still, there's a lot of guys, if you go back and even look at the, I think the, the, the real secret to the lack of talent in the roster is if you look back to some of those years where Rich Rod's highest rated recruits didn't pan out for various reasons, even if they were like the, the transfers, like, we had a couple four-star offensive tackles that would look really great as a junior or senior right now, right? And I forget the, the one guy's the Chaparral kid got Keenan oh, Walker. Keenan Walker, got, who was the one that was committed to USC and flipped to us? Then he was like, 
involved in a robbery and kicked off the team. I don't remember him. Oh, um, I know he transferred to Hawaii. Like, yeah, was, yeah. It was it's funny. I was looking up. I, I think we. Were, I think I was talking to you, and it was all time looking on two four seven sports all time highest recruits, and LATSA is like number like four. But or something. we talk about recruiting, and someone one of the big selling points to his hire was he's been really good at recruiting, and we all I think everyone knew it wasn't going to be the same at Arizona as it was at A and M. Arizona is not Texas A and M. But then there was an article in The Athletic that just crushed, lampooned someone in Arizona's recruiting efforts. And it mentioned, too, that it didn't start with someone. He's just kind of continued this history of Arizona not recruiting Tucson well. And I'm not going to get on them for not landing guys who went to USC and who went to Ohio State because it's easy for a kid to say, and I'm not blaming these kids who are going to those schools, but it's easy for them to say, well, if Arizona, well, you know, they really didn't talk to me too much. Well, how far would that have gotten them? But the perception, that's what you're talking about, the perception maybe more than reality, the perception... I mean, that was a good article in The Athletic, and it just crushed someone in Arizona for their recruiting efforts. And the whole point is someone was, he's not necessarily an innovator as a coach. He's not Rich Rodriguez with an innovative offensive system. He's like, like a team manager as a coach. He lets his assistants, his corners do their job, but he's supposed to be this ace recruiter, and he hasn't been. And granted, he's had one full recruiting cycle, and it was underwhelming, although some of the guys they did bring in this freshman class are, have played well. Mm-hmm. And the next one doesn't seem to be too much better. I forget where it's ranked right now. I know it's in the bottom third of the Pac-12. So yeah. it's like if you brought him in to recruit, unless he keeps finding diamonds in the rough and finds all these gems, then he's not hitting the mark there. And coaching decisions and what they're doing, you could argue the way he's handled the quarterback decision has been poor. The clock management, timeout management at times has been curious. Going back to the ASU game last year, going for two, when they really probably they shouldn't have. Like, There's a lot to question with someone, and... I guess when I say, like, I think he should get a third year, I understand where it's like, there's so much where you could say, yeah, that hasn't been good. Like, what is the reason for keeping him other than patience? You know, it's not like he has these, like, if Sean Miller can relate to basketball last year. If Arizona was to get rid of him after last season, you had this recruiting class that was like, oh, you, you don't want to mess with that. This is going to be the one that gets you back. What is the promise of someone for next season? And, like, I like Gunnell. I like Curry. I like Johnson. I think they have some talent on offense. But if you were to fire someone outside of the money, let's say the money's no problem, they go and get some hotshot coordinator to be their head coach. You're like, okay, that's a fine hire, whatever. What would you lose by dismissing someone? And really the only thing I could think of would be maybe some credibility in coaching circles because now you just fired your second coach in as many calendar years, one of whom you only gave two seasons to try. Yeah, and while you were talking, I was looking up like even this year's recruiting class. There's some... There's some real talent on there. If you look at Jalen Curry, Grant Gannell, Bobby Wolf, Christian Roland Wallace, Jalen Johnson. I mean, Gannell and Curry and Wolf were all holdovers, I think, from the A&M time when they were recruiting out there, and they decided to follow them to Tucson. I mean, Trayvon Mason has looked fantastic. Oh, I'm not saying he's been terrible at recruiting. Jordan Morgan looks like he's got a bright future. You know, Donovan, uh, Donovan Lay. The challenge right now is... Their recruiting strategy this season seemed to be more patient and try to play for some bigger fish, which is kind of taking a bigger swing. It's a really bad time to have your program evaporate while that's happening. Which yeah. you know, usually one game doesn't make or break any any recruit or their decision. Um, but boy, well, uniforms you, do though. Uniforms and the uh, and the the money that's stuffed in the pocket from Uncle Ernie in Oregon. <laughs> Or Uncle Phil, Uncle, sorry. Like Uncle Ernie. Sorry, that's an old, uh, my old job reference. The challenge is right now, if if you fire someone too, I mean, they actually had a pretty good uh, visitor list if you uh, look at the boards for last year. Yeah, weekend. they saw a hell of a game. Hey, you know, I, was, I saw a couple of guys that were visiting that are pretty decently rated guys, like I think a good linebacker from, from, from Utah, Utah mm-hmm. was saying how great it was. Another guy, I think it was, I mean, he was a defensive end saying it was, a, it was like a dream visit. I I'm mean, waiting for the recruit that goes down a place and puts on Twitter, what a miserable time at whatever school. You all suck. <laughs> I mean, did, There's no way I'm committing to, to be, your to be fair, terrible did, university. I'm pretty sure Malik Hausman on one of his visits got hit by a car and tore his <laughs> ACL. So, I mean, that probably wasn't a dream visit. <laughs> but, but that being the case, you know, I think this game has more weight in that regard and in someone's future than it should. Yeah. They I, could use some positive vibes, if nothing else. It goes back to what we were talking about, whether you'd w- rather have the Utah win or the ASU win, and I said the ASU win, because it's not about getting positive momentum. It's curtailing the, the, the free fall, in my mind. Yeah. 
And I think I think it'll go a long way to doing doing that uh, if they're able to pull the game out. And then you know if you fire your coach, all of a sudden you don't even have a full recruiting class. But you're you're not putting your program in a good spot to fill that if you're trying to scramble to hire a coach, and you don't even have a defensive staff to go out and recruit right now. If they're gonna fire him, I hope they do it right after the game and not wait till you know the end of December. Well, they they would <laughs> you'd have to <laughs> <laughs> that because that kind of puts someone behind the eight ball too when he first got hired. Yeah, he didn't he, have a full off season to really recruit to bring in his staff and all that. And that's and that's the other thing that just goes unspoken of like when people are you know, dumping on someone. I mean, he's got hired in, in what January? Late January I, I think it'd be harder for them to dump on him. Like they have, if not for some of the non game day stuff, like the talent level. I, I like some of the guys. Are, they're trying to get bigger, which is necessary, you know, but when you have fights on the sideline, when you're firing coaches, some of these things are happening when the player developed Khalil Tate. I know someone was asking this press conference on Monday, what attributed to Khalil Tate not fulfilling the expectation, the promise that he had over the last couple of years. It sounds like it's a lot of things, you know, offensive system. He changed, you know, changed the offense and all that stuff. It's like, there's reason to point and say, you know what? We'll give you a pass for the recruiting misses. If we're going to call it that, because you've only had one full recruiting cycle and Tucson's not an easy place to recruit to, but there are other things where if you want to, and I'm not, I'm only trying to say this as devil's advocate, because I understand where it's like, if you wanted to say you could, you, if you just ignored recruiting altogether and just other things and win loss record as part of it, I go back to what's the reason for keeping someone. Now, if they beat ASU, it would be in theory more difficult to get rid of them because, hey, you just, you were double digit underdog. You went on the road, you beat them. Clearly, the team didn't quit playing for you. So that's, that's good. And again, I'm, I don't think they've quit this season. To their credit, they look like they still play hard. They just look like they've been just undermanned most of the time, especially offensively the last few weeks because of the offensive line. But, I don't see how beating ASU would be the same thing that saves his job. Just like I don't think losing to ASU is the final nail in the coffin. I don't think this game should have any mat- any impact on what happens with him at all, unless something ridiculously stupid happens, where a huge fight on the sideline, or they're they go for two again when they shouldn't, or some horrible like something just egregiously awful. Then maybe say, "Really, man? Like, what? We we can't do this any longer." Like but, they give up a game uh, losing touchdown with ten guys on the field at the goal line. That's their best defense. Are you kidding? It's a tackle for a loss, baby. <laughs> but like something like, short of that, I just don't see this game having that kind of that impact. Now, granted, if they win, even if they fight, I still feel good. I could take that. Territorial comes back in Tucson, <laughs> you know, where where we feel like it belongs. And if you lose, depending on how you lose, of course, I guess it really doesn't matter how you lose to ASU. As long as you lose, people are going to be miserable. But like, if they blow another 19-point lead in the fourth quarter, kick them out of two. like, don't even let them back on the bus. It'd be yeah. easier to fly out at Phoenix anyway. But, <laughs> but short of something like that, just another absolute collapse or some terrible calamity on the sidelines, you just so you say, someone, what the hell? I don't think this game should matter in terms of keeping him or not. I agree with that statement, and I think it's generally true. I think my point is that I think this game matters slightly more than it normally would or that it should and if it does because because of the negativity but if it does to the people that matter to to robbie robbins to dave hickey if it matters to them then i think they're already in a bad spot because you can't be making your decisions that way well i I don't think it to be fair i don't think it matters as much to them as it matters to their bosses oh the boosters and 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 i get that but even to the donors like i just it's like who runs the program to me, the decision has to be made by right now. Like, That's a good question, actually, right now. <laughs> like, the decision to keep a guy or fire him, like even when, when ASU beat U of A a couple of years ago and they fired Todd Graham anyway, that decision was made long before that game happened. And that team went to a bowl game. They just decided they were tired of winning seven games a year, so they hired a guy who was winning seven games a year. Elite dominant thinking. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's the thing. Like That win was not enough to save Todd Graham's job, and nor should it have been. No. But if you're Dave Hickey, if you're Arizona, I would not think a win. Now, Grant, you'd feel a lot better about this year's 5-7 and seven than last year's. Eh. If you beat ASU, you do. I feel better going into the season, but I don't feel better about the trajectory of the program. And, then, and that's where even if you win the game, can it, should it really matter? So if, we'll see. <laughs> you know, like I said, I think I would hope a decision's already been made one way or another. And it might be just to keep them. Either let them go hire a defensive coordinator and see if they can try again next year with his quarterback at the helm and building the roster still like that's a very reasonable possibility. And I wouldn't be upset if they brought him back, but the leash is then like, 
They bring him back. It's you need to show improvement or you're getting fired a la Stoops midway through the season in year three. I mean, if maybe I'm completely misreading the tea leaves, but the fact that Hiki got an extension, Yates is, our, or, uh, Yates is gone, a couple of other defensive coaches are gone, which tells me, I presume that was someone's decision. And you don't think, I wouldn't think they'd let him do that if they weren't planning on bringing him back, but. Yeah, so I, I, I would think that if I had to bet money on if if the decision is already made, I think the decision is made that he's staying. It, outside of like you said, some absolute calamity, disaster, and or some you know. Boosting. I mean, it's Arizona football. Anything's possible. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, outside outside of Arte Moreno is deciding he suddenly wants to open the checkbook and say, "I'm tired of watching the say, same." Urban Meyer, what are you up to these days? Uh, <laughs> how do you feel at the old Pueblo? You know, I don't. I I, I think he's going to get another year, barring some calamity, and I think that's the right move. This time next year, he's either going to be solidified or he's his, not on the not coaching them any longer. The decision will have already been made. Yeah, whoever the coordinator is now, your interim head coach. Exactly. <laughs> so, with all that said, Brett, Arizona at four and seven, twelve and a half, thirteen point dogs to ASU, who is a six win team who had lost four in a row of their own until they survived against Oregon, which is a good win. I'll give the prediction first, okay? I'll do it first. I will add three points. Yeah, just to just to mix this up a little bit. You know, I want to say Arizona because I I wish I could do like the if they have their offensive line, if they don't have their offensive line. If the offensive line plays, if they're healthy, if they have four of the five guys or even I guess three of the five starters, I think Arizona wins this game. Because ASU's defense isn't that good. Their offense isn't that good. And I believe if Arizona can run the ball, their offense will be good. Without them, it's just going to be ugly. But I'm going to say the guys come back for the Territorial Cup. It'll be a miracle. And I'm going to say Arizona wins 31-27. to Interesting. I've been thinking and I've been going back and forth because this is one of those games when everybody's like, oh, everything's terrible and you go into this rivalry game, that's exactly when the unexpected happens. Oh, everyone's dreading this game from both sides. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of those. <laughs> it's one of those things where everybody's going to be real good and mad and nobody actually has faith in their team. Yep. <laughs> um, and so I've gone back and forth. I think that the real question to me is going to be the turnover battle. And that, that's kind of vis-a-vis who's playing at quarterback and largely how the O-line is doing. Are you able to run the ball effectively and not – ask your passers to do too much. And if you have a able to run the ball effectively and you have Gannell playing and he's a great game manager, you limit turnovers, I feel good about it. That being the case, I I, I don't know if it's I feel good about ifs. it. Yeah, it's a lot of ifs. And I even my bet my prediction, I want to hedge it by if the offensive line isn't healthy, I want to give it the other score. <laughs> yeah, my 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 I think I'm gonna come on giving the ASU the win solely for the fact that I don't have the faith in the offense to come through. I think that I think the defense will be able to even if the offense is competent, I think they'll be able to hold ASU under thirty points and just limit the big plays. That's their offense actually. ASU's a big play offense. They don't really drive down the field too often. I've 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 never seen a team do less with a more talented running back in you know Benjamin. But uh you know, I, I'm gonna come down on uh twenty eight twenty four ASU. <sighs> I don't feel confident in that score, but I, I could... You could be right. Either way, Arizona would be covering, so that'd be something. Yeah, I, I think the spread is a, a sucker's bet. That being said, it's also a so very... Arizona's realistic. lost six games by double digits this yeah, there's, season, there's so also it's a, not exactly unreasonable there's a to very, expect them very, to do so again. There's a very, very realistic chance of a blowout and us scoring nine points. <laughs> but I just, I don't, I think the last game of the season, I think they will put forth a good effort. I just... Don't know if there's enough health, enough health on the O-line. If there is, the Wildcats win. If there isn't, then we, we don't like that option. Door number two isn't a good door. <laughs> but we're going to hope for the best. See if I, maybe we'll get some Wildcats at the game. It'll be really cold. Saturday night was 8 o'clock kickoff or something. Give I or think take. they even moved the kick back, so it's now 8.15. So the season will end on Sunday. <laughs> but regardless, we're going to talk about that game and basketball, hopefully, with another few wins, but until then, bear down. Bear down.